It's time now for the complete story with Dick Bott, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Dick Bott with today's complete story. Well, Rich, you know, I was just thinking about, does the Bible speak of the river of life? Uh, and, you know, people think about a river. And, uh, and as you're going downstream, why, uh, sometimes the water starts getting pretty fast. And then pretty soon you're in the rapids. And then pretty soon you wonder, can you hang on? Is this thing going to tip over? I mean, the, kind of that's the way it's been here in America in the last, uh, I don't know, we could say few years, but certainly the last uh, few months, isn't it? I suppose so. You know, what well, Jesus is the living water, and as rivers of water, he turns the king's heart whithersoever he will. And as a tree is planted by rivers of water, you know, those those um, illustrations are all I in the Bible. I tell you what, God is in charge, and what you just said is so true. I have thought about that. He turns the heart of the king however he wants it to go. So whether it's Donald Trump or, uh, or or whoever it may be, God's still in charge, and 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 the Bible is filled with that. We're not just making it up for goodness' sake. Look in the Bible for heaven's sake. But anyway, I was thinking, on this particular program, I think it's so important. Should we be rejoicing or should we be praying, or all of those things? That was what was in my mind, and then I thought, who should we have as a guest? on this chapter of the complete story. And I thought of some, I could even name a few, Erwin Lutzer, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, what a wonderful guest he would be. Or then there were some others, you know, and uh, and uh, Jim Garlow from out in San Diego. What an interesting point of view that he would have. And, uh, and there were so many others. And then I read an article. I read an article that was posted by Greg Jackson. And he had been a radio talk show host on the East Coast. And we've known Greg Jackson for a long time. But we haven't kind of been connecting as often as maybe we should. And when I read that article, I thought, this is it. This man is analytically taking the whole situation apart. And he's explaining it uh, in a way that I had found so fascinating. So he's going to be our guest. What say you? Well, wonderful. What's the name of his article that you read? Well, I don't know. We're going to have to ask <laughs> okay. him now. All I'm right. looking forward to this. Greg Jackson, all the way out in Denver, Colorado. God bless you, and good to have you on The Complete Story. Well, God bless you, Dick and Rich, and thank you for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure, and uh, may we uh, redeem the time and uh, get to the important issues uh, of the day. And I love your introduction because really I think that uh, this election really was about life or death, not just for our nation, but just uh, even even spiritual life and spiritual death. We yep. were certainly at a crossroads uh, a few days ago, and we had, a, I thought, a stark contrast. Was Donald Trump perfect? No, not by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think any candidate is. I think both of you would agree. But I think on the major issues, I think there was a reason that he was so emphatically and strenuously opposed by many of the globalists and the New World Order and the international bankers and the EU and the George Soros crowd. It's because Donald Trump's message was that it's not going to be business as usual, that America is at a crossroads, that we're in a code blue moral and spiritual crisis. 
and that we don't need to nibble around the edges. We need to actually drain the swamp. Yeah. Which I think. What do you guys? I tell you what. Mm-hmm. Well, I tell you what. You said it well. I think that's the purpose for spring cleaning, isn't it? For heaven's sake, open up the closet, sweep the place clean, get stuff organized, get back to where it should be in the first place. I mean, isn't this what your mother always said said when she would come at you? I don't know if it was in your case. It sure was mine. Clean up your room. <laughs> come on, straighten this place out. And I think that's so important in the life of a person, maybe in a nation, maybe in a town or a state or a community, maybe even in an individual church. Let's get back to basics. Let's find out who we are, what we are, what we stand for. So anyway, that's what my thought is. Now, listen, before we go on, because I want you to tell about your article that caught my attention so much, uh, but I want you to give your testimony because you're a husband and you're a father. And um, and I just learned that you're a Jewish uh, Christian or a Jewish believer. I'll, I'll let you explain that. But how did you come to faith in Christ? Yeah, well, some people, I guess, would call me a completed Jew, because obviously there's nothing more Jewish than having the king of the Jews in your heart. Yes. And we know that, we know that the Bible was written predominantly by Jews and that Jesus was a Jew. And, uh, oh, could, could I make I an insert here? Having the king of the Jews in your heart and also having... Having the Jewish carpenter is your savior. And the gospel is to the Jews first, and then also to the Greeks. Yeah, but you see, having having the Jewish carpenter is your savior. Isn't that something? Absolutely. You know, I grew up, Dick uh, and Rich, not in a Jewish, like, uh, very religious home, I wouldn't say. I would have referred to myself more as a secular Jew, more of an agnostic. Uh, certainly, I was never an atheist. I always knew that there was a quote-unquote higher power, but I didn't realize that he had a name. In fact, God has many names, but he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose son is Jesus Christ. And in 2001, right, I'll just give you the uh, the short version. Yeah. Before 9-11, in 2001, uh, my wife at the time was working for an internet startup company called Lyco. Wait a minute, you, they, do you mean your wife at the time, or at at that time your wife was working for here? What did clarify that? Yep, my, my, I've been married 19 years, okay. and you know, we had been married three or four years, and my wife uh, at the time was working for an internet startup company and doing very, very well. And we were traveling the world and living high off the hog, and I quit my job in medical sales to go work for an internet startup company chasing the dot-com millionaire dream like so many in San Francisco at the time were. And Were you in San Francisco was, at the time? I was living in San Francisco. Yeah, I went to school back east. I went to college at small liberal arts college, Colby College in Waterville, Maine. And then after college, I moved to San Francisco because I had some friends that were living there. And that's where I met my wife. That's where we got married. And at the time, my wife was, you know, working for this Internet startup company, doing very well. We were living in Pacific Heights, which is a nice area. Oh, I know exactly where it is. I mean, I mean, you and I are getting acquainted right here on the air. Uh, You know, of course, we go back to 1952 and my wife and I got married. That's where we lived was in the San Francisco Bay Area for the first 10 years of our marriage. Wow. I mean, I mean, you know how how beautiful it is. Yeah. And I'll tell you how wicked it is. Yeah, well, now especially. Well, sure, but go, but go ahead. This is so interesting. Well, you know, the long and short of it was that I was chasing money in my life. And like so many of our friends, we'd go to their 
parties and, you know, in their mansions and, you know, $25, $30 million homes, kids, you know, in their late 20s that we were friends with. And that was our life. And at the time, uh, you know, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to make millions of dollars working for an Internet startup company. Then one day my wife came home, Dick, and said, I want to quit my job and I want to start a family. And, of course, I was crushed because she was the breadwinner, basically. She was making a lot of money, anywhere between $80,000, $100,000 a month. And At that time, that was a lot of bread. Still is. Month. Yeah, month. she was doing very, very oh, well. Oh, a month. We oh, a month. Okay. Oh, a month. Okay. Chasing the, chasing the, you know, no, no worries. No, no expense was, was too high. But I was empty, Dick. And, you know, driving to my job down in Palo Alto every day from San Francisco, I hated it. I can barely, you know, change a light bulb, much less sell Internet software, content management software. And so I came. When she told me that she wanted to quit and start a family, I was crushed. And, 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 and really brought to my knees because at that moment I realized that I was going to have to be the sole breadwinner and do this job that I hated. And at, at the time, I had just started becoming politically active or politically minded. I went to a liberal arts college and would have considered myself to be a liberal in many respects. And But living in San Francisco will wake anybody up who thinks that socialism is good because when you have people defecating in your doorway and uh, and you see socialism in action you you quickly uh, change your mind about all of its purported benefits and of course i was listening to a guy by the name of michael savage at the time who's a talk radio show host nationally syndicated now but he was only on on ksfo in san francisco at the time and he started to awaken me politically into more of a conservative mindset so I had a lot of things converging at the time in the late 90s in San Francisco, and I started to become more ideologically conservative in my beliefs. And so I was actually toying with the idea of running for Congress in the East Bay against a woman named Ellen Tauscher, who is a arch-liberal, and I had the backing of some of the pro-life groups, and that's what I really wanted to do. That's where my heart was, Dick and Rich, at the time. What, what, woke, you, it, what woke you up to the fact that the value of an unborn child is something that you should be concerned about. What was it? What was that moment when all of a sudden the light went on and you thought this unborn human baby is important to God and it's important to me? Well, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if there was one specific instance. I know that I researched for my first book, which was called Conservative Comebacks to Liberal Lies. We sold over 100,000 copies of that book, and the first chapter is A is for abortion. And when I was doing the research for that book at the time, Dick, uh, that's really, you know, all you have to do is spend an hour on the Internet, and you will see what an aborted fetus looks like. Of course, fetus is Latin for little baby. And you can see that it's not just a blob of tissue. And the more I researched it, the more I understood that these weren't heads of lettuce, these weren't dogs or cats, these were little, innocent human persons that were inside their mother's wombs that were being destroyed in this procedure called abortion. And that's what really woke me up. That, And, of course, that is the sacrament of the left, abortion. It's really no different than Molech worship. And that really woke me up. And, you know, living in San Francisco at the time, becoming more conservative, and then having my wife say that she was leaving her job, I was really brought to my knees, Dick, and that night I lied in bed 
in San Francisco, and I just said, God, help me. I didn't, you know, it was, no, it was nothing more than just a cry for help. And at that very moment, Dick, I, it became clear to me. I had the clarity in my mind. It was like a, a burden, a great burden was lifted off my shoulders. And I had, it was God was giving me clarity that I needed to do two things. I needed to go back into medical sales, which is where I was doing very well before I started to chase the dot-com millionaire dream. And I needed to take care of my wife, who I made a pledge to when we were married, to provide for and to protect and defend in sickness and in health. And so it, that literally that next day I called my old boss and he said to me, we were just talking about you for this new medical device company in Charlotte, North Carolina, that you would be perfect for a position here in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we won't even need to interview. We'll hire you on the spot. We'll fly you and Annie out to Charlotte. And if you like it, you got a job. So it was like God was putting his imprimatur, his fingerprint all over it. And so literally we, a couple weeks later, I moved out there and I started my new job. And it was like God was taking me out of Sodom and Gomorrah and bringing me to the Queen City of Charlotte, North Carolina. And a few weeks after I got there, Dick, I was on a treadmill in the YMCA. And there were about 25 treadmills and there was one guy on the treadmill and I was right next to him, and he was reading this book, and I said, what are you reading? And he said, the book of Hosea. It was a huge, I'd never seen a book this big, and he said, the book of Hosea. I said, the book of who? He said, the book of Hosea. It's in, in the Bible. And we started to talk, and then we, we struck up a nice conversation, and he said, hey, why don't, what are you doing tomorrow? Why don't you come to my church? It's called Steel Creek Church in Charlotte. It was a non-denominational, Christ-centered, Bible-teaching church, and the very next day I went, and I walked in, Dick and Rich, and I was a little bit late, and I was standing near the soundboard in the back, and this beautiful black woman was singing the most amazing praise and worship music I had ever heard. Of course, I hadn't heard that much praise and worship music. Uh, I was more into Led Zeppelin at the time. But when I stood there in back, I had tears streaming from my eyes, and there wasn't enough. I remember there was a box of Kleenex that was on that soundboard, and I just kept mopping up my tears with it. My wife was looking at me like, who is this guy? And, uh, and, 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 and it was the, at Steel Creek Church in Charlotte that I first heard the gospel, the good news, that I was a sinner, that Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sins, that he was my atoning sacrifice, my propitiation, and that by placing my faith in him and him alone, that I could be forgiven of all of my sins and could get eternal life in heaven forever. Greg, and Greg, I had never heard that, Dick. Well, yeah, see, Greg, this fellow in the gym, for goodness sake, while you're trying to work out and get healthy and all that sort of thing, he shared the love of Christ with you, and, um, and, and then he invited you to come to church. I mean, this man was being used by God, allowing himself to be used as a tool as a vessel, that's a better word, uh, to, to bring you to, to the, be confronted with the gospel. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the thing was, my wife and my family members, who are all Jewish, thought, this is, I thought that Greg was a Jew, now he's a Christian. And, and you know, the, the great part about it was, I didn't know how to reconcile the two. I, I didn't know that, you know, Jews couldn't become Christians or 
And, and literally the very next week, a man by the name of Sam Nadler, who's the head of Word of Messiah Ministries, came and spoke at our church. And he talked about praying for the peace of Jerusalem, which I think is in Psalm 118. And I'll never forget, because afterwards, Dick and Rich, he had a little table set up, and he had some tapes and whatnot, and I told him my story, and he put, and, and, he, and, and I said, Sam, how do I tell my family? Uh, you know, it, it feels strange being a Jewish believer, and he, I'll never forget, he put his arm on my shoulder, and he said, Greg, there's nothing more Jewish than having the King of the Jews in your heart as your Lord and your Savior. There's nothing more Jewish that you could ever do. And he had a big smile on his face. And it was so comforting to hear, because at the time I was the black sheep of my family. Now there's a few more believers in my family. Uh, But that was the greatest point in my life, was in 2001, right before 9-11, when I was baptized in uh, 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 the Hope of Israel Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, and Sam Nadler baptized me, and I shared my testimony. And, you know, a few years later, he told me that there was a 65-year-old man that was at my baptism who had not been saved and who heard my testimony and got saved yeah. because of the result of my... Isn't that awesome? Uh, yeah, it I is. tell you what, it is awesome, and our time is getting away, but I've already decided that you and I <laughs> and Rich here, we have to do this over and over and over again. I know our audience is just thoroughly enjoying this, but now it, it also occurred to me that there in Charlotte, North Carolina... That is the state where your the good governor, McCrory, I think his name was, did not make this. Well, that's up. that's still up is in the air. Still, it's still the too close is, to call. The point is, in a state like Charlotte, North Carolina, I suppose, uh, Greg Jackson, that that uh, Jim Crow probably was alive and well in parts of that state and that sort of thing. And when I heard you mention things that that you went to an integrated church where everybody was welcome. I thought, isn't that nice? That must be a good church. Absolutely. Bible teaching, Christ-centered so, so whether it's So whether it's North Carolina, whether it's Colorado, whether it's whatever the state may be, uh, where this broadcast is is being heard, why everybody is there, the people who are mean as a snake, and those who love the Lord and are willing to love their neighbor as themselves and share the gospel, it all is in every place. You'll always find whatever you're looking for. Too often, however, the Lord's people, the Lord's people are not being the disciples and then being the messengers. And whatever that gentleman was, did you stay in touch with him? I have to this day. His name's Mark Iacono, and he is the pastor of a small church now in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I will ever, forever be grateful for him. And the thing that you just said, Dick, I want to touch upon because it's so important, is that today is the day that God's people not, need to start, and, you know, I'm just as guilty of it. We can all get into this fearful mode, but God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And if we would only walk in faith, in obedience to the Lord, there's no telling what he could do. You know, a lot of people bash Donald Trump. Oh, he used vulgar language. Well, what do you expect? The guy's not a believer. Or, well, or let me tell is. you, he's, Jim hey, let me just look at it this way. He's a pompous, let's face it, he is a pompous, 
bigger than life and uh, and uh, winning, 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 and so on and so forth. That's the way he was raised. That's his whole life story and everything else. But I'll tell you this. One thing is sure, he seems to be interested in America, and he is finding out what is best for America by the people he's choosing to have around him. That doesn't mean that everyone is going to be the best choice for Dick Bott or you, but I'll tell you, the the inclination is he wants to, it isn't that he wants to make money. He's already said, don't pay me a dime to be the president. He said, by law, I have to take a dollar, but that's what it'll be it. So he wants to do is his final moment at this time in his life experience, whatever is the right thing. We must pray to God that he will find it and stay true to the things that he promised the people. You know, I heard, and maybe you were there, Dick, at the uh, pastor's conference where he had a thousand pastors. Yes. Uh, early on, um, were you there at that conference? Rich was there. Oh, yes, in well, New Rich, York City. I'm, I was there. I'm sure, I'm sure you remember uh, that he he told the pastors who were present there, you know, why are you so fearful? I'm going to, you know, that that's the thing. He It was almost like he, God was speaking through him to the pastors that we need to get in the race and that we need to be bold, bold as lions, and that there's nothing to fear. And I thought to myself, wow, God is using an unwashed sinner like Donald Trump to be his messenger, yeah. to speak to his people. And you know what? If God can save an unwashed pagan like me, and make me a saint, then it's not out of the realm of possibility that he's working in the heart of Donald Trump. Let me just say this. It's not out of the realm of possibility that God could use Donald Trump regardless of these other things. I mean, it's up to— Use Cyrus. Yeah, see? Go ahead, Rich. You had something you wanted to say. Well, yes, I just wanted to say absolutely. And who knows that God may be working in his heart, but he is surrounding himself with good people. He's the first presidential candidate ever to say that he would appoint pro-life Supreme Court justices and that he would support religious liberty. And he also promised to repeal the Johnson Amendment, which is so um, onerous on, on many churches from being able to freely preach what they want to preach as it relates to public policy and and current issues in our day. But let me transition now. I think the article that you had in mind was titled, The First and Most Important Thing That President Trump Must Do Day One in Office. Yeah. Give us those quickly, because I want to get down to the pro-life part. So I wrote this article because as, as, as laudable as uh, Donald Trump's first 100 days in office contract with America is, and I do believe that uh, many of those initiatives and policies that he's talking about doing in terms of immigration, tax policy, repealing Obamacare, all of those things uh, need to be done, and he's to be praised for those initiatives. But what I realized, uh, Dick and, and Rich, is that All of those things will really be meaningless unless and until we restore the inalienable right to life for all innocent human persons from conception to natural death. And many people say, well, he's talking about defunding Planned Parenthood, which, of course, who could be against that? Uh, He's talking about appointing pro-life judges, uh, you know, to overturn Roe v. Wade. 
But the truth of the, of, of the reality is, guys, and I, I note this in my article, which is that he doesn't need to wait for Roe vs. Wade to be, quote-unquote, overturned, because Roe vs. Wade is an illegitimate, immoral, and unconstitutional court opinion, which is not and has never been the law of the land. And this is one of the greatest lies that we have ever swallowed which is that the Supreme Court is the final arbiter of what is legal and what isn't legal. But, but Greg, ultimate... Greg ahead, wait, wait a minute. No, I, no, listen, no, please just draw a, a moment there because I want to come back to that exact spot. But also, also you and I were talking that Justice Blackman. Now, the problem is a lot of people listening, even American public today, they don't know their history. They don't know their history. But anyway, Justice Blackman was a was one of the Supreme Court justices that voted for push Roe v. Wade, and he was a pro-abortion Catholic or maybe a Catholic that didn't believe much. Who knows? Who knows? But he himself said what? Well, he said, of course, and I'm paraphrasing, that uh, if it were to be shown that the uh, fetus inside the mother's womb was a person, then, of course, the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendments would apply, that their due, due process rights and their equal protection under the law shall not be violated by any individual state. So my argument, and, and, and by the way, Mike Huckabee... No, wait a minute. Is, so you see, what he really was saying is, so you can't yeah. kill a kid. Just because he's inconvenient, just because this child is not wanted and inconvenient and so on and so forth. What he was really saying is if it can be proven that this little embryo, this little fetus is a human being, uh, why well, you can't kill it. And, and, but he, that's right. and that's what he was saying in, in, right there in 1973. In the, in the, in, now, my question has always been, do we care? Well, yeah, that's the million-dollar question. But the, the fact of the matter is it's a biological scientific fact, and it always has been, that at the very moment of conception, when the male sperm inseminates the, the female ovum or egg, a new creation with 46 chromosomes and an entirely uh, unique genetic DNA code and makeup uh, it results, and that new creation is a human person. What else possibly could it be? I mean... Even an atheist first-year uh, uh, medical student uh, understands that that is a human person. So it, and, be- so it begs the question, who are the real science deniers when it comes to the sanctity of life? Absolutely. You know, Mike Huckabee put it best in that first Fox News debate in 2015, the first presidential debate. And you can go, it's by, by the way, the link is in my article, guys. It's only a minute and 42 seconds. It was the high point and, of course, ignored by every me- mainstream media outlet. But, and, and he and I had been texting that day, and I had been encouraging him to say it, and thank God that he did, because what he said was, I, I, I will ap- appoint pro-life judges, and I, I do believe that we need a constitutional amendment, but in reality, we don't even, even need to pass a constitutional personhood amendment because the right to life is already preexistent. And he said that as president, his first official act would be to enforce the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendments, due process and equal protection for all innocent human persons from conception to natural death in all states that failed to do so, which is sadly the case in all 50 states 
that allow these tiny babies to be murdered in cold blood at a rate of 3,000 per day. Mike Huckabee said that that was a historic moment in United States history. He gave the outline. And by the way, he has Donald Trump's ear. I've been in contact with Mike Huckabee, and I'm praying that good men like Mike Huckabee, Mike Pence, uh, and, and, and others who have his ear can help educate. Kellyanne Conway. Uh, Kellyanne Conway, President Trump. Because, look, President Trump, in my estimation, guys, I don't know what you think. I think he's more coachable and teachable than a lot of Christians I know. He doesn't yes. think he knows it all. He's very open. But he wants to be right. See, he wants to be right. He wants to be right. And he I'll tell you, do the right a, thing. a man at his age who has had it all, he wants to He wants to go out knowing he did the right thing. And, of course, he's susceptible right now to say, I need to talk to people who will absolutely give me, uh, you know, uh, opinions. They give me a roadmap. Give me a compass. Give me something that's truth that I can depend on. And nothing is better than the Word of God on all of these things. If I had 30 seconds with Donald Trump, I'd say two things. One, we, I, I would share the gospel with him, and I'd invite him to receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior. I don't know if the man's saved or not. Uh, I don't either. I don't but listen, heart. Greg Jackson, give, give us your website. Other, I want our people, we got to get out of here, but I want our people to know you. Give us your website really quick. Yeah, the website is greg, G-R-E-G-G, jackson.com, greg, with two Gs, jackson.com. And, uh, you know, they can check out the article. And uh, maybe on a future show we can talk about the, the, the book that I wrote for my son, 40 Things to Teach Your Children Before You Die, because that to me is a gift that you can give to anybody in your family who's unsaved. You can give it to your kids who are being indoctrinated and brainwashed by the public schools and get them thinking right yeah. about the issues. All right. God bless you. Listen, we've got to leave, but you're a national treasure, my brother. <laughs> this well, is... all, all glory, honor, and praise go to, go to the Lord. He's doing something special. Be encouraged, my friends. Be encouraged. This is Dick Bott with his chapter, The Complete Story is a Public Service, and I'll see you later. 